Good morning, guys. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Excited to be here. What you didn't see in that video was I was in the room just clonking around some brick, you know, some little logs and making noise. But um, yeah, apparently I'm still a child in heart, I say. Uh, this might be a little weird for some of you. Um, I know I'm not Todd. Um, I do have the same hair swoop as him, um, so hopefully you enjoy that. We had the same hairstylist, uh, Joanna, she's right here. She actually came up to me and it's at the service to be like, it fixed it. So I was really pleased with that. Um, so this morning, I wanted this to be kind of like a table conversation. Notice the table. Um, I was going to have a candle up here, but they don't let me play with fire for good reasons. So I wanted to kind of have like a table, you know, a table talk. Um, kind of like the fourth date. Remember that? Like your, you know, your dad already showed me his guns. They're nice. Um, your mom showed me the, the pictures with the braces, you know. Still think it's cute, but whatever. We'll let her go with that. But, you know, the fourth date, you kind of have relaxed and kind of, you know, just kind of tempered a little bit down. Life expectations and goals have probably already been announced. So if you can pretend with me this Sunday that this is the fourth date and that, you, that we know each other, the better off this is probably going to be. So my section in Illuminate is talking about if we are to illuminate our world, we must be passionate about those who do not know Christ. And you're going to hear me talk about a term called pre-Christian. And when I say pre-Christian, it's just a definition that we use as a person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, talking about pre-Christian and ministering to the pre-Christian is kind of, kind of maybe scary for some. I mean... I mean, let's be honest. I mean, in theory, it sounds right because we're surrounded by a lot of individuals who don't have a relationship with Jesus in our work areas, in, in our neighborhoods, maybe even our homes, that we have people who are constantly in our lives that don't know Jesus. And so in theory, ministering to them should be easy, but it's not, is it? In my section, it's talking about being exposed. Um, and really with ministering, you're kind of exposing yourself. I mean, to say that you're a Christian now these days has, has a meaning and a title with that. In some areas, you, you kind of get this weird look like, you know, like, oh, you smell kind of look. <laughs> but saying Christian now these days means something different than what it meant 60 years ago. And so that's scary and that's frightening for some, and I understand. Or maybe you, were, you just now got a relationship like with Christ, and it was, you just started a month ago. So ministering to people that you were just hanging out with a month ago, that, that's intimidating. You know, you're like, I, I don't know what I'm saying. I know. Um, there's Jesus and the four horses apocalypse. There you go. Figure that out. <laughs> it's scary. And we understand that. Or maybe, maybe you think like ministering should be like a mountain that only a certain few can ever reach. Some of you guys may feel like it's like a dead end. And I want to let you know that this has been going on for centuries. 
The first century group or the first century people had these problems too. How to approach God? How do you talk about God? And they had several groups that the Bible speaks about. One is this group called the Pharisees. And this is the religious group as they got it all. You know, they had this whole faith thing kind of figured out. You know, God and them, they're tight. You know, they, they, had, they had these rules that they followed. And they had rules before rules that they followed. And if you didn't follow the rules of rules, then you're really in their, their crowd, their group. And then when Jesus shows up, the God-man kind of blew up their whole little checklist that they had. You know, they just, since Jesus didn't fit their type, they hated him. Because Jesus took away their authority and power. Because 400 years before Jesus, they had the market on the whole religious thing. You know, they were the ones, they were the apple. If you wanted to know about God, you talked to them. And when Jesus, God, showed up, wrecked their world. Then you had the group called the, the disciples. These are the apostles that kind of walked with Jesus. Now, let's be in their shoes. You've only been around this guy for three years, maybe a year, you know, and he tells you all these things like, I'm going to die and I'm going to come, you know, rise again in three days and then you will know me. You know, like you hear these crazy statements, you're like, I don't know what that means. And it's, yeah, it's okay. And Jesus, you know, I mean, <laughs> when Jesus approached them, they were doing their normal day things, living out their normal day lives. And then somebody said, this is the one that Moses proclaimed. Which about that time, it's like a thousand years ago. What? Moses proclaimed him? And he says, follow me. Weird concept, even to those who knew him, this ministering and they, too, were like, I don't know really what to say. And then he had another group. We call the tax collectors and sinners and Gentiles. This group was the group that you don't really associate with. You know, they were the, the fupas of the, the community. They were what would be considered the prostitutes, the murderers, and thieves. And nobody really associated with them. You're not supposed to. Because if you associate with them, then you agree with their lifestyle. And then you're saying, it's okay. See, we, it seems like we still are having the same struggles as the first century people were. The goody tissuers, the middle of people, and then the rough crowd. That's still going on today. What's beautiful, though, is when we talk about the tax collectors and sinners... The rough crowd. These are individuals, the tax collectors, they work for the government. And I know, government, you would be kind of like the IRS. We have, all have bitter thoughts toward them. But when Rome chose the tax collectors, he, they chose people who had influence. So it wasn't like average Joe Schmoes that, that could be a tax collector. You had to have influence on a community. Because when this person would approach you for tax, you would know what to do. You want to invite the tax collector to a football game. You know, you want to play cards with a tax collector. You would just give your money and that would be the business. And some of these men were actually Jewish. They took them from the synagogue and said, hey, you are now our tax collector. Which the Pharisees, the, the goody two would be like, 
I don't like you because now you're a traitor. You're unclean. Because again, tax collectors was always associated with sinners. So being a tax collector made you unclean. And so the Pharisees were like, get away from me. You are a traitor. You betrayed God and you betrayed your country because you're a tax collector. Kind of harsh, isn't it? So I want you to imagine, if you were a Jewish man who was just doing his normal thing, being a tax collector, and every time that you were described, you were described as a thief, a prostitute, a murderer. That was who you were associated with. That's, that's your category. You don't come out of that category because you're a tax collector. Women, I want you to think about this. Think about going to a local market store. You would get glances as if you just killed every child in the world. The smelly kid glances, you know what I'm talking about? Like the... That was what it was like to be a part of the tax collector family. You were the lowest of the low. And you couldn't hang out with the government. The government looked at you as an employee. Anybody feeling that way? Just, you're just an employee to somebody? Yeah. That's what a tax collector's life was like. That may be the feeling of some of you in here. You may have a feeling that you've done something, that somebody has called you out, or maybe somebody just judged you. Or maybe you do work with an association that most people want to frown on. Maybe you've been judged for a tattoo or a piercing by the churchgoers. I want to let you guys know that this morning, you're in the right spot. This morning, I want you guys to know one thing. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus' mission was for sinners, not for the righteous, not for the people who thought they have it all. They came, he came for the sick, not the well. We're going to read in Matthew. If you guys got your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. This is the calling of Matthew. And it says, this is ESV. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Matt, Matthew was a tax collector. He would be considered the unclean. And what does Jesus do with the unclean? He goes and eats with them. Jesus goes to their house. Start a conversation. And today, eating at someone's house meant different than then. To, then, it meant that you associated that means you could not judge the person that you ate at the house because you agreed with them, because you are now associating yourself with them. And does this mean that Jesus agreed with their lifestyle? 
No. Because Matthew says he still calls them sinners. They were still living in sin. They were still living in wrong, and Jesus still called them out on that. His association with tax collectors and sinners was to teach them about their spiritual illness and their hunger for forgiveness. And I want you to notice how Jesus did associate with sinners by reclining. You know what that that word means in Greek? Reclining. Just a little knowledge for you if anybody asks you. (laughs) He met them where they were comfortable. Jesus went where sinners were. Different from today, isn't it? Notice people trying to get sinners in here. They say, come to church. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus went where they were at. You know, Jesus didn't say, hey, get yourself right before you approach me. No. Jesus says, come messy. Jesus didn't say, go to the synagogue and talk to them. Jesus said, no, come to me. Follow me. Which brings me to my point one. We need to be in the moment with the people in our lives. If you want to reach those who do not have a relationship with Jesus, you need to be present with them, meaning you need to be in the moment. Don't try to get them figured out. That's not your job. Your job is not even to fix them. Your job is to provide an atmosphere where they can approach you. Your job is being in the moment. Being attentive. See, the problem with most of us in here is that we don't even know how to be in the moment in our own homes. True? Parents, I want you to ask your students, if, you're, if you are present in the home, meaning, do you provide an atmosphere to where your students can approach you about anything? Students, I want you to ask your parents if you are present in the home Are you addicted to your cell phone? Can you have a conversation without doing this? It amazes me that students can do that, by the way. Students, are you more wanting to be on Facebook than actually be with your parents? Then I would say you're not in the moment. You're not present. And I know there's distractions. Your job is a distraction. Your car is a distraction. You know, the home it's messy. There's no laundry. It needs to be done. It's all a distraction. But if we say that we're placing value on people, then you need to be with people. The laundry can wait. But we've noticed people can't. Being present with somebody is making them feel like they are the only ones in the room. Do you guys, parents, couples, remember the first anticipation of the first kiss? I know, maybe way back when. <laughs> Students don't anything about it. You shouldn't be kissing. But no, remember, like, you had to guess that, do I do 90, do you do 10, like the little head bob kind of move? I would have Maddie come up here and show it, but it would be a little awkward. <laughs> but no, we, but in that moment, that was the only thing you can think about. 
The whole world passed you by. But you was just eyes locked, you know, radar on, bam, happened. But it was the moment. And I'm not telling you to go out and kiss everybody because that would be really awkward. But what happened to just being a moment and being appreciative of just people around you? Jesus lived for those moments of being present with people. Because only true friends share fellow, table fellowship. Only true friends can be honest and in the moment. Reclining created an atmosphere for people to come to Jesus. What atmosphere are you showing at your home? What atmosphere are you showing at your school? Can the nerdy kid come up and talk to you? No, right? Because your atmosphere is so on yourself and not on people. If we want to be present with people, let's get over ourselves. I want you to notice in verse 12 how the Pharisees responded to Jesus being in the moment. And they were shocked that this God-man was associating himself with the lowest of lows. Their approach to the pre-Christian was to actively separate themselves from them, like different sidewalks. They were like, I'm over here, you're over there. The closer you get to me, the closer you know, my, I need to take a shower after being around you because I'm unclean. They thought ministering was distance. Like, hey, look at me, but stay away. You know, it's okay if you look at me, but don't come near me. Because you come near me, then I become unclean. Then I become associated with you, and I don't really want to be that. Their focus was on the outside appearance, not the inside. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, to some of us in here? More worried about what we look like rather than what's going on inside. But I love how Jesus spoke of those who don't have a relationship with him. He presented an everyday illustration. He said, it's not those who are well that needs a physician, it's those who are sick. The awesome thing about that is that he wasn't talking about the sinners. He was talking to the Pharisees. He was saying, Pharisees, you are the one that are sick. You're so self-conceited that you are missing the point. The point is not you. You're so stuck in your own little world. You're missing the point. I came for those who are not righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees thought they weren't sinners. Many of us in here, or actually, I would say this statement. We are the Pharisees, ladies and gentlemen. You're not the good guy in Scripture. I will tell you that. Scripture points that out. You are not the good guy. You are the villain. We are the Pharisees. We have rules and checklists that everybody must follow. We may not say it, but it's in our heart. And it would be better for us that if we would consider the outcasts of our society, we know the outcasts. AIDS victims, gays, lesbians, addicts, homeless, minority. We, 
I could go on. You'd be like, yeah, I know that. Funny thing is, so did the Pharisees. Stay away. Don't come close. Watch me, but stay away. Yeah. Like that awkward friend at work. Hey, yeah, stay away. Still do it. Still happening. But I think there's a hidden group in our society that we may know of, but again, we kind of don't talk about, like the divorcees, the single parents, the widows, the widowers, the elderly, the white-collar alcoholics. We forget about them. So we must get to know them as intimately as Jesus did. Only close and trusted friends share table fellowship. But we dare not to join them in their sinning. I'm not telling you to go do that. But guess what? To be present with him may cause you to come out of your comfort zone and be where they are. If we're saying we're supposed to illuminate our world, we must get out of our comfort zone and be where sinners are. We must be the church doing what no other church is doing. And that may get you to have different looks. Whatever happened to ministering in a bar? It's kind of crazy, isn't it? There's sinners there, aren't they? Now, I'm not telling you that, hey, everybody should go into a bar. Not stating that out there. Some of you struggle with alcohol and you shouldn't stay away. But those who don't, what are you doing? Where are you going? Can you name five people on your hand that don't know Jesus? What are you doing with them? Are you present where they are? Are you okay with their eternal state? It says a lot about you. Which takes me to point two. You're not the doctor. Jesus is. Simple, isn't it? This releases you from all expectation of you being the hero. There is already a hero, ladies and gentlemen, and it is Jesus. You don't have to put that pressure on you. With ministering, you don't have to be the center focus. Jesus is and always should be. You don't have to mask your true identity. You don't have to put on your church face when you're with sinners. We all have it. I have it. You don't have to make Jesus look good or trying to trick them to hear about Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus already looks good. He did that at the cross. You don't need to lie about that. I'll say that again. Jesus already looks good. He doesn't need your lie to make him look good. Most of us get swept away in our conceitedness, thinking that we have to be the the focus. We have to be the heroes. Us, us. It's my church attendance. It's my Bible knowledge. It's where I send my kids to. Propaganda is a Christian rapper, and in his song called The Gospel, he says, your goodness is like spraying cologne on a dead corpse and pretending like it don't stink. Ladies and gentlemen, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. You stink, and you need a doctor just as desperately as any lost or person who doesn't know Jesus in here or out there. We all need Jesus. We're all sinners. In Romans 3, verses 10 through 11, it says, No one is righteous, not even one. 
No one understands and no one seeks for God. Stop trying to be good and love God and love people. Let God change your heart, not your bank account. Let God change your title. Let your heart be changed by God and not your job. The only title God cares about is called child. Being a child of God. That's the title that he desires most. He desires you to stop thinking about you and your life and start thinking about him so you can start thinking about others. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My mom was basically a single parent. And my, what I mean by basically is my father chose to drink and drive when, he, when I was five years old. He got a car accident and he became paralyzed. So all I know, even up to this day, is taking care of my dad. And my mom married another guy, and he pretended to be cool in the beginning. I was with him for nine years. And one day he decided that he didn't like us. And he took everything and left us again alone. And so I had to get a job when I was 13 years old and try to help out around the house, my brothers and I. And, it, and this isn't supposed to be a sad story. I know, it's kind of like a Debbie Downer. But with my mom gone, working, trying to support three boys and the husband's terrible spending habits, caused a lot of time for my brothers and I to be alone. My stepfather drank, so it, the liquor cabinet was open. I uh, started drinking when I was in first grade and went up all the way up to high school, which opened the doors for me to do drugs when I was in sixth grade. I was a middle school student bringing alcohol in to school um, and drinking. My teachers thought I was just crazy, but they didn't know I was drunk, which provided a lot of conversations afterwards. But this lifestyle all changed in high school. I joined a punk rock band. I was a singer. We were traveling in Ohio. I was, thought that that was going to fill this void that I had throughout my life. That didn't work. No drugs, no alcohol, no girls can ever fill the void that I know that I was missing. My life crashed when <laughs> my best friend died, Brandon. He had a spinal disease. I've been hanging out with him since I was in third grade. I would show up before school every time to like wheel him in to his classes. Brandon was the life of the party. I mean, he can make you laugh. This, this kid throughout his life had 50 surgeries. And after every surgery, he will come in and tell a joke. And you're just, you're just wondering where he got his source of energy from and his laughter. Before he died, he said, I'm going home. And I didn't know what home really looked like. And so I asked a youth pastor at the time that uh, his name is Sam Bryant. My high school girlfriend brought me to him. And I asked him, how do I make somebody happy? How do I, how do I create joy? Because it's killing everybody at my school. He said, Cody, the only joy comes from Jesus Christ. Now, okay, pause there. Two weeks before this very moment, Sam asked me to read scripture. So he asked me to read scripture in front of the whole youth group, and I said, no, I am not a Christian. So I took the Bible, gave me, and threw it and hit some kid in the head. This is two weeks. Now, let's whoop, 
back to the moment, crying on my knees, praying for forgiveness. Because of a man chosen to step out of his comfort zone and dealing with a bratty kid. A man knew and loved God so much that he didn't care about what his reputation was going to be with the student. That he knew that the student needed to know truth. The truth was Jesus. The doctor is Jesus. The day after I became saved, I went to talk to a math teacher. His name is Ryan Stern. And we became, we became friends. Um, Sam and I talked a little bit, but Ryan has been the cornerstone of my faith because I still now have a relationship with Ryan. He was actually in my wedding. He was one of my groomsmen. He still calls me every week to see how I'm doing. Why? Because he knows still to this day that I still need that doctor. And his name is Jesus. Which brings me to point three. God gives you the platform to love the pre-Christian, to love the people like me that come up in your life. God gives you the platform, not you, not your title, God. Jesus says, going back to verse 13, it says, Jesus told the Pharisees, go learn. Which is ironic because Jesus is telling the teachers to, to go back learning, those who should be teaching. And he even said, you don't even know Scripture correctly when he's saying this from Hosea 6, 6. He says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. God spoke through Hosea to an undeserving, disobedient Israel. And God still chose to love them and send out messengers and proclaim the good news, which is God. Hosea the prophet looked for God's people to show love and loyalty to God, hoping that in that loving God, they will love people. God desires you to love him first, which provide you an atmosphere or a platform to talk to those who don't know Jesus. You can't love the pre-Christian. You can't love the person who don't know Jesus without loving God. It doesn't work. Loving out of your own heart doesn't work. It, it kinda, you kind of stop, don't you? You may talk to him one time, but after that, it kind of goes downhill, doesn't it? Loving your Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, would produce a love for the person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. I'll say that again. Jesus will produce a love in your heart for people. Let Jesus be your influence. Not your title, not your job, not you, but Jesus being the cornerstone. These two men could not lead me to Christ if they themselves didn't love Jesus. If they didn't love God first, they would not see that I, a wicked teenager, needed the doctor. The first commandment in the Old Testament is love God. Do you know why? Because you cannot kill, covet, be an adulterer, or not be an adulterer, without loving God first. If you go back and read the Ten Commandments, they come up with the first one, and the other ones figure their ways out. 
Because it starts with loving God. Most of us can't even remember Bible verses. We've they'll maybe about five. Most of us can't remember sermons. It's okay. I won't tell Todd. It's all right. But we do remember people, don't we? Remember that person that made us such an influence in our lives that we now work in the same area or try to work in the same area that they did. And it could be different. It could be Billy Graham. It could be in your grandpa. It could be your dad. It could have been your mother. But we all know people who had an influence in our lives. So my challenge for you is this. Be that somebody worth remembering. And you can do that negatively, you can do that positively. I'm going to challenge you to do it positively for Jesus. Be that somebody worth remembering at your home. Parents, be present at the home. Start there. Then go out. Be that person worth remembering at your job. What atmosphere are you providing your coworkers? Can they approach you? Or do they want to run away from you? Doesn't really say much. Be that person worth remembering outside this building. You don't have, remember, you don't have to make Jesus look good and Jesus already looks good. But say that outside of here. Not mask your identity. Be that person worth remembering in your classes. Students, you don't have to join in making fun of somebody. You can take up a stand. Choose not to. Because your popularity really isn't that good. Seriously. Somebody at your school doesn't like you, so therefore your popularity isn't really consistent with itself. So you don't have to try to be cool because in reality you're not. Be that somebody worth remembering. In a minute, I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads. But before that, I know that there's somebody in here that hasn't been thinking about that one person they need to talk to Jesus about. And the Holy Spirit works in funny ways. Probably even before this message even start, God gave you a name. It could be somebody you golf with. It could be somebody that you met at the ocean. It could be somebody that you met at the grocery store. But you know that one person who needs to know Jesus. And I know this too, that some, maybe some, maybe more, maybe one person here, I want to let you know that you have not sinned enough for Jesus not to love you. I'll say that again. There is no sin that would amount to Jesus not loving you. So I want you to bow your heads and pray with me. God, I, I pray that you provide somebody in our lives who don't know Jesus. God, if we proclaim to be Christians, if we proclaim that we know the good news, that I pray for those who stand up to that good news, that they will proclaim and they will go out and preach the good news. Lord, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit, I pray you to convict us if we are not doing our job as Christians. 
I'm talking about where we can't sleep, we can't eat without ministering to that one person that God has put on our heart. And Jesus, I pray that you reveal yourself to that one person or maybe five people in here who don't know you as daddy. Jesus, I pray that you reveal or speak through somebody to them this week who knows you as daddy. God, do not let us just be Christians in this church, but may we go out there loving those who don't know you. I ask these things in your name. Amen.